Bring out Elizabeth Selwyn. The tortured souls cried out in agony as the flames mounted higher and higher. Burn, witch, burn, witch, burn, burn, burn. Those I've said in these known today, the actual practice of witchcraft in the 17th century. And I'm feeling itchy. I got a lot of rashes going on. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I I felt itchy wa- watching this movie about halfway through and I'm like, "Oh, man, like, you know, it's just your mind getting into or, you know, being directed in that direction." So, you know, well, yeah, what's what's that, that black direction. thing in the corner of my eye on the wall? <laughs> yeah, well. So, uh and it's like that, you know, you get one bug on the floor and suddenly you got, you know, creepy crawlies, you know, you see a spider and next thing you know, you're like, oh, man, what scratching away and trying to avoid the bugs. My mortal enemy is ants. They have always been ants. And if you see one ant, it's like, oh, OK, my rule, this is my rule of living. I see one ant. I'm like, OK, I'm on alert. I see two. There's a problem and I have to find out where they're coming from. It only takes two. And that's a problem for me because I, you will never see two ants without there being a whole bunch more behind them. Yeah, oh yeah. But why ants? Why does that get to you? Uh, because they get in your walls and build colonies and live there. And then, and then they just, they just, I don't, I don't know. It, 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 it's not because I'm scared of them. It's because they're like just an infestation. They're a force to be reckoned with. It's like nature trying to reclaim me. And I'm like, no. <laughs> nature trying to reclaim you? Well, they come into the kitchen and, and they get in your food. I've had fire ants get in the house and, and got in my bed while I was sleeping. Oh, shit. That's bad yeah. news. You know, Texas has fire ants. And yeah. So, yeah, they're, they, they are a nemesis of mine. And I kill them anytime I can. Hmm. Interesting. Well, in case we don't, people don't know by the title, this uh, movie that we are about to discuss is called Bug. And, uh, you know, against, against type, there's almost not a single bug to be seen in this film. <laughs> Even by the, the, <laughs> the characters in the movie. <laughs> so this is a movie that, I, it passed me up when it first released, and and I don't know how I missed it, but so Years this is. I've been begging you. Yeah, you have, and I tried to watch it sooner, um, and I couldn't find it at one point. But uh, this movie was released in two thousand and six. It is an all star cast, directed by William Friedkin, of the Exorcist fame. And in case, you know, you guys don't know Friedkin, the guy's all he's an awesome, amazing director. If you get a chance to listen to interviews with him, he's just he pulls no punches. He's he's just he's one of the best. Uh, He did the movie Sorcerer, Boys in the Band, uh, Cruising with Al Pacino. If anyone's ever seen this, they should Um, to live and die in L.A. He's definitely a colleague of Tarantino. I, I would definitely put him in the same tier. You should check this out. Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon and Harry Connick Jr. are all in this. Uh, Brian O'Byrne is in this. He plays Dr. Sweet. Um, <laughs> and even Lynn Collins as Ashley Judd's friend. And there's not a lot of people in this film. Nope. And there's not a lot of scenery changes in this film. 
and about what four scenes i think or four different settings yeah, there's, and there's a the grocery store slash liquor store there's the bar and then there's the parking lot right a parking lot and then there's the motel room yep i don't think and, there's anything else and that's it i don't think there is anything else and you oh, might- i think they're at her her friend's apartment or no, maybe that was oh. all in. No, that was all it was in. The, all, yeah, never mind. Yep, yeah, it was all in the hotel room. So an unhinged war veteran holds up with a lonely woman in a spooky Oklahoma motel room. The line between reality and delusion is blurred as they discover a bug infestation. So I remember when we started talking about this, you're like, dude, this doesn't really do it justice. It, it, it doesn't explain what this film is and and what was the analogy that you gave me oh, i don't remember now oh remind me do you know no i don't remember which is why i'm <sighs> like oh that was really that was really good but um if you think of it just blurt it out but okay so this is a disturbing movie and i like movies that are really psychological in nature and they blur the line between reality and you, you, you kind of along for the ride in this movie. Um, Ashley Judd is a very lonely woman. She is doing her best to avoid her life, really. Um, you find out later it's uncovered that she uh, lost her son and the child was not, isn't, wasn't killed, but was actually taken from her while she had the child in, uh, you know, in a store. She was shopping one day. Um, abducted, be- yeah. But you don't I wonder, like, was the out al- did the alcohol stem from the loss of her child or was the child lost due to her alcoholism? You know, it's not really there's a lot it's of ambiguity. Yeah, there's yeah. a ton of ambiguity in this uh, film, which is one of the things that I love. And we've talked about these types of things again and again. Um, you know, personally in our, you know, other discussions, I've talked about this to Om- with Omar and, and you and I've talked about this. I love when you don't know if the threat is real or not, or if it is real, you don't see the threat, you know, it's, it's kept in the shadows. And uh, I like mis- mystery in dealing with these characters. And Michael Shannon is a mystery. His character <laughs> is... So strange and intense and yet and, relatable. Yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, he is a, um, he was a former military guy who was discharged, um, has mental issues and they, you find out, come to find out later that he, um, you know, he's talking about, um, that he was kept in a military installation and he says it was Groom Lake, which is Area 51. And, you know, that uh, Groom Lake and or Area 51 is already uh, rife with, uh, you know, conspiracy theory and everything else. And so, you know, they're in uh, there's the rub in this, you know, where Michael Shannon's character starts talking about places. And you're like, oh, well, this guy's obviously batshit crazy. You know, you know, everyone and their mother knows Groom Lake or knows Area 51. And so it seemed kind of heavy handed. And he's like, oh, you know, these doctors, people are looking for me. I don't want to I don't want to get you involved. And but Ashley Judd is like so lonely and sad. And she's been trying to dodge her ex-husband, Harry Connick Jr.'s character, Jerry Goss. 
she's been trying to avoid him, but the phone rings and no one's on the other end of the line at the beginning of the film. And she's like, Jerry, Jerry, you fucking asshole. You know, like she starts ripping into the silence on the other end of the phone line. And you don't know if it's Jerry or not. But, you know, so the paranoia sets in right at the beginning of this film. And I think because of her loneliness, because of, you know, how sad and depressed and she's she's a person at the end of her rope. She's a, a bad alcohol, empty uh, bottles all over the uh, cocaine There's Coke. I mean, she's obviously got, you know, issues. Uh, Escapism. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, her friend uh, Lynn. Uh, Lynn Collins's character, R.C., is also a bartender, a waitress, and they come home late one night. You hear an odd noise? No. All right. Popped in my my headset. Anyway, um, they she comes over to Ashley Judd's uh, hotel room that she's living in. It's a, it's a motel room, and her character Agnes. Uh, they're hanging out and Michael Shannon comes from the bar with them and they start to uh, all hang out and they're talking and whatnot. Um, RC gets a, a phone call and her friend's in trouble. So she leaves and Michael Shannon decides that he's going to stay. Ashley Judd's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, uh, and they're going to hang out. And, uh, you know, Michael Shannon's like, you know, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not really interested in sex. He's like, it's not my thing. Um, I think, you know, relationships are difficult as it is without making them more difficult. And so he's like, you really don't have to worry about me. And he, and she's like, oh, well, thanks for the compliment. You know, like you don't want to have sex with me. You know, she's like, not that I was interested anyway, but, you know, so it's like they're both so fucking damaged. And, you know, you think, well, maybe she's worse off than, than Michael Shannon. Maybe he's like. He, you know, he's he's more even keeled than she is. Well, see, um, that's the thing. It, it's it's such a slow buildup. You don't know anything about him having issues other than being a little odd until almost halfway through the film. Right. So they start spending time together. Uh, he sleeps over. She wakes up the next morning and the shower's going. And so she starts talking and uh he finishes in the shower the door opens up and it's not michael shannon it's it's her ex-husband harry connick jr's character jerry and he's abusive and so right away she's freaking out because michael shannon's gone and in his place is harry connick jr and he just you find out that he just got out of jail he's got all kinds of things she wants him out and rather than him listening to her you realize that he's an abusive piece of shit and he starts hitting her. He's smacking her around. And, you know, Michael Shannon comes back and, you know, uh, Harry Connick Jr. is like, well, I'm going to come back. He's like, you know, you just, you know, be be out of here by the time I return. Pretty much. He's like, you know, I, I don't want you around here. And he takes money from Ashley Judd's purse. And he used, you realize this guy is a real piece of shit. And so it's no wonder that she's been trying to hide from him. Um but the intensity ramps up from there. So what did you love most about this film? I mean, it's, I hate to give some stuff away, but there's a real um, manic paranoia uh, to this movie. And it's very creepy. Well, I keep, you know, I've, I've mentioned it many times and, and it, it stands out. The biggest feature is 
it starts out, it's relatable. I mean, you, you, you know, you, it, the humanity of it, you know, the down on your luck kind of lifestyle, living in a CD hotel room, you know, we've all heard stories, if not even known people who have experienced periods of their life like that. And, and you start to feel a little um, empathy, you know, to, to the, to the character. And then this guy comes around and you're already on alert because here she is expressing fear from her, her um, ex-husband and now you have, a, and, and so she's obviously a little, little anxious about men in general. And then this guy is just going to stay and, and it, everything got weird, but, but, but everything was okay. It kept getting reassured that everything was okay. And then the freight train lost its brakes mm-hmm. and it just, it, it, it I, I described it as, a freight train reaching the top of a mountain. It takes a long time chugging up there. And then all of a sudden it crests and no brakes on the other side of the hill. And it just went. And then your brain can't even hardly keep up with the dialogue and the, and the, and the thoughts. And it, it's just, it's manic. And, and that's what I loved about it. It just became absurdly absurd quick. <laughs> It really did. I mean, the one one minute they're just talking about the banality of life, right? They're talking about things that they've done or what they're dealing with, and they're both really fucking damaged. But then, you know, they have sex and they wake up like in the middle of the night, like after they've they've done it for the first time. Um, Michael Shannon sees a bug in the sheets or he sees a bug on her and she doesn't see it. He's like, no, look, look, it's here. It's here. And he's like, she doesn't see crap, but she goes along with him anyway. Right. Well, she goes along with him because she's so lonely and she's so damaged. She's afraid of losing even this, this stranger. And he's basically a stranger. She's only known him for a few, basically a few hours. And so he was going to leave and she was pissed off because she's like, I really liked having someone here. It doesn't matter whether or not we're having sex or if we're in a relationship or not. She goes, I just liked having someone around. It made me feel it comforted me. And you, and Ashley Judd is such a great actress. Um, I just I, I wish she was in more stuff. I don't know uh, why she got out of acting, um, but she was great in this movie. Um, and I liked how the character ev- devolved into this just paranoid schizophrenic mess along with Michael Shannon's character. And Michael Shannon is always on 11. He's always in, there's a smoldering intensity to him. It doesn't matter what he's in, you know, it's like from boardwalk empire or he's playing Zod in the new Superman. He's just badass in whatever role. And he takes that to, to that, you know, to the nth degree in this role. And, you know, Later on in the in the movie, as the plot develops and you come back into their room and you realize that maybe a couple of days have gone by, the entire room is covered in tinfoil. And it's like, you know, you joke around. Everyone's like, oh, well, you know, this paranoid freaks, you know, they're wearing their tinfoil hat. So their mind, you know, so they're not reading their minds or the aliens aren't going to friggin broadcast to them. You know, that's but they take all this fly paper and bug zappers. So they have the, these bluish looking, you know, black light almost um, in the room. So it's, it starts off with like one bug zapper. And then suddenly there's like 30 bug zappers in this room and all this, the fly paper. And then it's like 
it, it's in stages where it goes from that till the room is completely covered. Um, and so he believes that there's a colony of microscopic bugs implanted in his teeth. So it went from being on his body and being in the bed, you know, being, you know, where you, he freaks out and takes his shirt off because he's like, uh, their friend, you know, RC, this woman uh, is like, you know, you're fucking crazy. There are no bugs in here. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? And he pulls his shirt off and he's got these these lesions or these bug bites or seam or scratches or whatever that's all over his body. And it was really shocking to see that because, you know, you suspend disbelief. And if you can and you watch this movie, you see the level of mania and and it's disturbing and then the next scene comes with uh the doctor and so michael shannon's talking about you know the the military they had me in my you know in the uh in groom lake facility and they they were trying to get to me and you think he's just batshit crazy and you, and that this is all made up and then suddenly Harry Connick Jr. shows up in the film with this doctor seemingly from Groom Lake that, you know, that that Michael Shannon knows. So now I'm like, holy shit. Well, maybe that is real. Then you start thinking maybe these bugs are implanted. Maybe this is something that. But you don't know. It's really left. Uh, it's really left up to your imagination. Now, you you know that they're crazy. And the doctor starts talking about his, you know, uh, how he spent this time trying to get him back on track and that he, you know, is dangerous to himself. Uh, so he's talking to Ashley Judd, trying to get her to come around. I and mean, she's like, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to help you. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to get to him and I need to protect him. And so finally, Michael Shannon comes out of the bathroom where he was hiding and he's got a knife in his hand and he looks fucking crazy and as soon as he comes out of the bathroom right right like michael shannon's character looks like he's dangerous as fuck he comes out of the bathroom with this with this huge butcher knife and his eyes are as wide as saucer plates i mean they're just <laughs> he's just and 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 he's on a mission he's like this is going to end right now yeah, and he puts the knife up against the guy, the doctor's chest, and he's like, no, you know, this is going to stop. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, you've done enough to me. I'm not going to let you do it again. Um, and then I'm like, how is this doctor this fucking calm? Like, he knows this guy is delusional. Obviously, he feels confident that he's going to be able to talk him off the ledge. And... uh and the ledge was not going to be talked off. <laughs> no way. He was not coming down off this ledge at all. And, uh, you know, it came. It was odd to me when the doctor first comes in there and he's trying to talk sense to uh, Ashley Judd, you know, Agnes. And he's trying to explain to her, look, you know, we need to get him back where we can observe him, where we can take care of him. She's like, no, you're trying to. You know, you we need to put this keep him in here because the tinfoil is protecting us, excuse me, protecting us from the, you know, the uh, the mental. Uh, the, the the mind waves from from these aliens, I mean, there's like they're going into tons of conspiracies. 
it was just off the rails at that point. And so the doctor says, oh, you know, you mind if I have a, you mind if I have a, a hit from this? And he t- starts smoking, whatever you thought maybe was meth or maybe was crack. I, you know, I thought maybe it was just smoking weed, but I, I don't know. It was tough to tell, but whatever it is, the some doctor, kind of glass apparatus. Yeah, yeah, it was a glass pipe. And I don't know if it if it, what, what drug was in there, but the doctor takes a look and then takes a hit from whatever and drug reacts. is in there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, holy shit. You know, even the doctor is is off the rails a bit like, you know, he's dealing with some shit, too. So anyway prior to to this michael shannon's like you know there's bugs and there's um there's something uh, a microscopic implant in my teeth and michael shannon takes a pair of uh, channel locks and and clicks it onto one of his molars and proceeds to tear a tooth out of his mouth and he's screaming as he's doing it with, you know, which makes sense because I was screaming, watching him do it. <laughs> and he tears one out, blood dripping out of his mouth. And then he goes nuts. And she's like Ashley Judd's character is like, no, stop it, Peter, you know, and he goes in again and and goes to the back to another one of his teeth. And, and you hear him like screaming, like intensely. There was some of the best acting in this movie uh, and and Michael Shannon's character tears another tooth out of his mouth. I was cringing the entire time that this was taking place. Yeah, it, it's one thing to consider someone doing that for the first tooth, but to go back for a second is utterly, utterly it, confirmation that the dude is insane. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it was just such an intensity to it. And, and you just just when you think it's not, you know, they can't get any worse the doctor comes. Peter comes out of the bathroom with this knife. The doctor cannot control Peter. He is way off the deep end, worse than ever. And he proceeds to stab repeatedly Dr. Sweet again and again. I mean, the, because it, he's a synthetic robot. He's he's not real. He's not real. And he's like, look, look, let me show you. I'm showing because Ashley Judd's screaming. What are you doing? In the blood and guts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like look, in the. It's in so the in the open wound, um, he sticks her hands in there and they're just, you know, he's like, look, he's not real. He's a robot. He's a robot. And he's not. He was a human being. And that's part of his paranoia. So now you're like, oh, wait a minute. So this isn't a delusion, because at first I'm like, is this guy even here? Because the doctor starts smoking weed or smoking drugs in the room. I'm like, that seems so out of character for a doctor to be doing that. So I was like, maybe this is just a figment. And and then it and then it, you just <laughs> Michael Shannon proceeds to get Ashley Judd to kind of come up with a scenario of why, you know, this is all meant to be that her son was stolen. And, you know, he was like, tell me, you know, you know tell me the story. Tell me what happened. You know, tell, you know, and she just from her in- insanity creates this entire made up scene where, you know, she met Michael Shannon, the baby was taken from her and all this other stuff. Oh, when Dr. Sweet came in here, he tries to get her to 
uh, rat out Peter. Where is he? You know, let's, you know, I'll figure help you out find your kid. Yeah, I'll help you find your son. And she's like, what? You know, like, you know where he is. And and that causes her to lose her mind. And she Michael Shannon comes out. He's like, he's not going to help you. He, he doesn't know. Like they they took your son on purpose. And so they come up with this incredible conspiracy theory convincing that his son was kidnapped her son was kidnapped by the government to lead her and uh, to and peter to meet each other and that both were separately infected with bugs the bugs were meant to mate with each other and her bugs were meant to mate with his to take over the world but and, and but the thing is is the conversation was a frantic manic spiral of of them just leading one thought into the next and it was like a, a tornado of thoughts crescendoing up into this this ultimate ending and and the dialogue was in a way in which you could feel how their brains were just vomiting these ideas yes. and making connections where there were none and and creating this entire elaborate fictional story to match their mental state not yes, it because it made any sense Right. It was like a manic stream of consciousness of just random ideas that they were throwing together so they could create this narrative, which leads them to my bugs mating with your bugs so the, these bugs can take over the world. So in order, to, pre was, yeah. in order to prevent this, they have to destroy these bugs this infestation and so they pull these um you know sheets off of these uh tanks they have gasoline and they douse themselves with gasoline and at the very end michael shannon you know, almost in a in like a split second you know he kind of is able to turn it off and he looks at her and says, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And then he lights them both on fire. And in that moment, Ashley Judd inhales, takes like, <gasps> and you see this recognition on her face, this, it, this horrible recognition, like the fire that engulfs them. You know, she recognizes like, I just made him, I just made the worst mistake of my life that in that moment. And it was just a look on her face and a gasp of air. It was just something so simple. No words needed to be discussed, but it was at that moment where she has that split second of clarity and the entire fucking hotel room goes up in flames. And that's it. And that was it. Um, but here's the weird thing. During the end credits, there's toys in Agnes's room. They're shown completely intact. There's no sign of aluminum foil. And like the opening shot is repeated with a body of the doctor in there. Um, and he's and he's not um, he's not destroyed by fire or anything. So it's like, wait a minute. Did did the conflagration happen? Or didn't no it? Idea. Yeah. And you don't fucking know. The entire thing is left ambiguously. So they could both be back in cells for all we know. Right. We don't know anything. We, I mean, obviously, the one thing that we do know is that, you know, Dr. Sweet apparently was killed because he's still in the room. But was, you know, was the fire um, also a figment of their imagination? Where are they? We have no clue. Well, her ex-husband who brought the doctor was kicked out of the room by the doctor because he was adding, you know, stress to the situation. Right. And you never see him again. And, and he supposedly has been just waiting outside the hotel room for the doctor to come back out. But you never see him again. 
Right. That's another weird aspect. I mean, all that screaming and stabbing and then a fire and he's just outside doing nothing. That doesn't yeah. make any sense either. It was damn That's good. Nice. This is such a great movie. It's if you like movies like a slow burn that slowly reveal uh, a character study in madness. This is a movie that you should get into. It is a drama, horror, thriller. Uh, if you don't like movies that are confusing or don't have an obvious ending and don't put a pretty little bow on it, don't watch this movie because you will be frustrated beyond belief. But if you dig stuff that is purposely ambiguous and that leaves you to to really fester in the madness of these characters, Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon are perfect together in this movie. They they just did such an incredible job. I loved it. I thought it was really solid. So, um, and I know you like this movie too. If you were to rate this movie uh, on a scale of one to five bugs, how many bugs would you give it? Oh, definitely an eight because it's worse than a bug. It, it's a spider. It, it's, 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 it's horrible. On a scale no, of one to really, five, you're an eight. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it definitely, or six because, you know, insects have six legs, whichever you oh, choose. But, okay, there you go. But definitely. Definitely a five. I, the thing with this movie is its title. It just I think that ruined its notoriety because there's a lot of people who are squeamish about bugs and insects and they see a movie called Bug and they don't even go and see it because they're like, oh, no, I don't want this movie has the, the inst- it's just it's it's a sleeper because of its name. It, I think if, so, if too. People, named- people don't like uh, creepy, crawly movies. They don't like having bugs crawling all over the screen and and seeing that. Don't worry about it. You're not. That's not this kind of movie. Nope. You don't even see any insects. I mean, there's a couple of like what they're imagining in their head moments where they show like the head of a praying mantis and stuff. But but other than that, those are just like momentary flashes on the screen that give you a little more theatrical impression of their thoughts. But but there are not there's nothing there in this movie that, of insect related. Right. He, you, he sees these bugs and the, he calls them aphids. And yeah, which the, are plant the, bugs. Yeah, I mean, right. And so, you know, these are the aphids that are that are coming to uh, implant in his body. And uh, well, you know what's absurd about that? Aphids are actually this is a little scientific trivia, but aphids are actually like cows in the insect world. Pla- uh, ants will take aphids and build environments like leaf cutter ants they cut the leaves up take them down into their nest and feed them to the aphids who then eat them and produce a sugary resin that the ants then harvest or milk from the aphids and feed their young oh wow oh yeah aphids are literally like plant cows or, or insect cows they are some of the most benign insects they don't bite they don't carry disease they're harmless and that just totally changes. I mean, aphids, really? <laughs> right. Af- aphids are biting you to the point where you're you're bleeding lesions all over your body. Exactly. They they don't. <laughs> all they do is digest plant material and make sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So that makes his madness even more uh, profound because yes. you know he's he's complaining about bugs that seemingly are you know are harmless. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, when, when I thought they would have said something like some kind of parasite or, you know, but 
aphids. It's <laughs> they're just yeah. Yeah, but you, so you know. It, I would give this a four and a half out of five. I mean, it's not a perfect film, um, but it is um, it is a case study in madness and uh, paranoid delusion. And these two characters, these two actors, uh, they just pull it off so well. I mean, I really enjoyed it. So definitely check yeah, this out. I, it's if you, especially if you're not a mainstream movie lover, this is not a mainstream film by any stretch. Although it's you know William Friedkin has an Oscar under his belt. The guy is is one of you know uh, you know one of the uh, horror movie royalty because of The Exorcist. Um, but he really is he's iconic as well uh, as you know just um, in in his approach to filmmaking. The guy is just one of the best. And this is definitely up there, I think, um, in one of the you know recent movies within the last 20 years that I would I would say, you know, sh people should be watching this. Yes, it it, it really is a sleeper. Um, and, and I don't mean also that, you know, people or let me add to it. There's people who won't watch it because, you know, they don't like insect related movies. But it also gives you the impression just based on the title that maybe the movie is going to be like, you know, Oh, uh, eight legged freaks type movie, you know, where it's going to yeah. be some comical horror with bugs and, 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 right, and, right. and, and it just, there's multiple genres that that title could cover. And if you're not interested in any of them, you wouldn't know, you, you just would not know what this movie is about from the title. Right. I wish I yep. could remember my analogy. Me too, because it was perfect. <laughs> I don't yeah i don't even have a a beginning of it you know but yeah, yeah. i know i know but uh that's yeah so um, you guys should check it out it's definitely highly recommended it was it was a solid movie and if you're a fan of either one of these actors um yeah then you owe it to yourself to check it out um in addition you know i'm reading uh, I just finished reading Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Definitely uh, an interesting take on the movie, which I absolutely loved. And I heard that there was uh, a director's cut of the movie that was supposedly in the works uh, to go up onto um, Netflix. It was going to be like a five hour version of the movie. Good Lord. <laughs> and that's so I found out that that was hyperbole. So that's not the case, but it would be great to see a director's cut of that film. Um, but I, I got into this book that was given to me by my buddy Rob from Terror at Sintai, who's been on this podcast a, a few times. And we, you know, reciprocated onto his YouTube channel. He let me borrow a book called Shock Value by Jason Zinneman. And uh, it's basically how a few eccentric outsiders gave us nightmares, conquered Hollywood and invented modern horror. And so it kind of starts off where he talks about how Hitchcock was like a member of the old guard for Hollywood. I mean, for Hollywood horror. And, you know, like even Vincent Price was, you know, a horror icon for so long. And I have nothing negative to say about either one of these because I'm a fan of both uh, and especially Vincent Price. But um, they represented kind of an old. Uh, the old approach to horror movies where it was meant for a younger audience. It wasn't taken seriously, sometimes given in delivered with a, you know, a solid tongue in cheek um, or with a sense of humor about it. But at the end of the sixties, uh, we got Rosemary's baby with Roman Polanski. We got George Romero's night of the living dead. And those two kind of set horror on its ear. 
and they were taken seriously. There was an adult perspective. Um, they were uh, Polanski's Rosemary's Baby was iconic and how it was shot and delivered. Um, and, you know, the even at the very end, you only get a piece of the devil's child. Uh, you see his eyes. You know, he has his father's eyes, you know, that type of thing. Um, but George Romero shooting in black and white out of necessity turned it into, um, you know, like a documentary. And, you know, he didn't turn the camera away from these ghouls tearing people's guts out and eating the flesh of humans. And, um, you know, the main character being African-American and it's iconic. Now we talked about it and probably ad nauseum, but you know, the, the main character is, is a black man in 1968 and he's in control. He's in the driver's seat, um, but even to the point where, you know, he smacks a woman, a white woman on the face uh, to get her to, to, you know, stop being manic or crazy. You know, she's losing her mind and, and in shock uh, to threatening uh, Cooper because and telling him, hey, you want to be boss downstairs? Go ahead. Stay down there. I'm the boss up here. And so he was very much an iconic character and set the tone for horror movies going forward. Um, but this book is really very interesting. So, uh, but it also talks about um, Wes Craven and how he started uh, with, you know, similar take on uh, like last house on the left. And then he went into doing uh, the Hills have eyes and other things. And, you know, they talk about when he was, uh, he was driving across country with his with his wife or uh, and they were in the desert when they were driving across country and he had long hair and uh, he was uh, um, like threatened at knife point by these hillbillies in the desert. <laughs> and and they were like, you know, we don't take kindly to hippies around here and all this other. She's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll sue if you guys touch me. And they laughed at him. He's like, sue. He's like, we could we could bury you out here and no one would ever know that you disappeared and where. So he shit yep. his pants and he was terrified <laughs> because here he is like a kid from the city. You know, at that point, he was living in New upstate New York. He was an English teacher. And uh, and it was that moment that made him realize, you know, uh, that he wanted to write this story about the hills have eyes, which is really very cool. So um, but anyway, yeah, this is a really good book. And I suggest people get a chance to check it out if they love horror and like um, a history of the genre. Shock Value by Jason Zinnemann, Z-I-N-O-M-A-N. You should check it out. It's really a, an interesting read. I'm about halfway done with it now, but it's good. Can I ask a question and, and get your opinion on whether or not you would agree with this, this, this line of thinking? Um, we, we say horror all the time. And, you know, old horror, new horror and all. But would, would you say that, you know, all right, the Vincent Price movies and stuff are horror, but yeah. those are more of a you have to be scared of what you're seeing because of what you're creating in your own head. This is what I'm thinking. And, and versus the newer version of horror movies, I would say you could almost say that they're terror movies because they humanize it where you get to see what someone else is, how they're feeling and reacting in the movie, which stimulates a more intense feeling in yourself. In other words, watching an old movie where Dracula goes around and sucks someone's blood. Sure, that's horror. And that's scary. But modern movies seem to give you more of a, I don't know. It's almost like you're, it's not just that you're experiencing it, but you're being empathetic with the other characters who are as well. 
I agree with you. And it, what it does is it puts you into the perspective of horror is banal. Horror is mundane. Horror occurs when you walk out your front door and you see your, your next door neighbor, but you don't know that he's got bodies buried in his basement. Right. That's, you know, the horror of everyday life. Yeah, he was uh, so quiet, you know. You right, about, yeah, right. He I, was just a, you know, uh, just a, a quiet uh, guy. I mean, he was just, a, you know, this mild mannered. You know, yeah, right. But when you experience it firsthand, that becomes and that character. and that's the turn, and that's where you're like horror is like you know in Rosemary's Baby, where the main character Rosemary, she her. Uh, her, her husband tells her what to do. She's being the good wife. She wants to, you know, be a homemaker. And, you know, and, and in the late sixties, you know, women were burning bras and people were, you know, uh, burning their draft cards and um, they were going against the grain. This character was firmly rooted in tradition and she was being manipulated by everyone around her, the, the kindly old neighbors, you know, the, her own doctor, uh, her husband, her husband's friends and, and manager, her husband basically sold her out to the devil so he can have a great career as an actor. And so, you know, those things, you know, horror comes from the people that you love. And that's what makes this makes this generation of horror movies so drastically different. I mean, now it's kind of like we're going backwards a little bit and we're like, you know, there's a rash of these new horror movies are about paranormal activity or about supernatural elements, ghosts and demons. non-human things. Yeah, right. Whereas, you know, it's going back to this gothic sensibility. And I love those, too. I loved those old gothic horror movies and, you know, the castle that, you know, with the, the shadows and you don't know what's haunting the halls and things like that. But, yeah, I agree with you in terms of there was that sensibility that horror comes from everyday life and horror, uh, you know, is is the is the stuff that we see every day rather than, you know, the supernatural vampire or the, you know, Frankenstein's monster. So, yeah, I'm with you. Well, and, and I would, like I said, I, I would almost classify the stuff, the more current human type horror as terror movies because the intensity is it's personal. It's, you right. know, you, you watch a supernatural movie and a ghost and it's, I mean, yeah, it's scary and all, but the likelihood of you ever experiencing that is so slim that, you know, it's, it's, it's subjective, but, but a neighbor, for example, something as simple as Disturbia, that movie with, um, right. You know, that could be real. That could actually happen. And that's more terrorific in my mind than, you know, a, a ghost haunting a single solitary house. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. A hundred percent. You know, there's I mean, obviously and, you can make it way worse with movies like, you know, Hostel and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about this genre. There's there's it's such a wide range of styles. Uh, you know, is it is it a ghost story that you like? Do you like slasher movies? Do you like you know, uh, some people like torture porn movies, and I hate that that title. But, uh, you know, if you're a hostile fan, that's what they ended up calling those. That movies. was a sick movie. I couldn't look away. Either. Yeah, you can't look away. And that's the thing that's interesting. And they talk about hostile and they talk about this in a sense that there was a bunch of guys who were in the army and in, in Iraq and uh, they first saw hostile and they were terrified of it and they were really deeply disturbed and some guys who were in the military you've seen have seen a lot of action they've seen blood and guts they're trained not to look away because you're trained you know to kill people 
Uh, and people who were in the military, you know, they they saw hostile and they were deeply disturbed by it because, you know, and some of it is a, it can be catharsis, too, where you're able to view these things and, and pull yourself away from the immediacy of the violence and just kind of live vicariously through, you know, the people, whether it's the victims or the people doing the violence. Um, but that's kind of what makes these movies interesting to watch is that sometimes it could be. You know, you're it's it's it could be a way that you can live through this violence and not have to and not have to experience it firsthand, um, which is, a, you know, any type of these uh, fantasy or escape escapism is kind of like that. It's like, you know, if someone who loves, you know, superhero movies all the time because they want to feel that the, the sense of power and wonder. You know, they want to be a hero. They want to be, you know, they be able to fly or, you know, whatever superpower they want, you know, or yeah, I, I joke around like Batman is one of my favorite superheroes. And, and, and my girlfriend will always say, you know, he's well, he's not, not he's not a superhero. Like <laughs> Superman is a superhero. And, I, you know, I was like, no, he is. And the fact that he's just a normal person is really what makes him more super than anyone else because he has no physical prowess other than I'm super rich, super intelligent, and I've honed my body to be a, a, you know, a violent machine where I'm able to bring this level of violence to the bad guys and help protect the city that I love. That's what I like about the Batman character. And he's so dark and deeply broken but yet he still manages to work through these shortcomings um, to destroy the enemy, which is really why I like him so much. But you're right. His superpower is that he's rich. Versus Heath Ledger's Joker. His superpower is that he's clinically insane. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so everyone's got, you know, everyone's got these, you know, their the characters that or the or the thing that they like. I have a friend of mine who loves slasher movies. That's his that's his go to. He loves them. But that's such a trope. I mean, everyone can do it. You just run around and kill people. Ah. But, but I like that. I like them, too. Don't get me sure, wrong. I, I mean, love they're them. They're entertaining, but I don't find them to be scary. Right. Sometimes they're not, but there are some jump scares in it. You know, there are moments where you're like, oh, this is great. But sometimes it's about the set pieces and it's fun to watch how oh, like, yeah. George Romero. It's funny to watch how those gags happen. What's going to happen next? Oh, this guy's getting his head torn off. You know what I mean? And, and now I'm like, oh, shit, how did they do that? It's like, you know, watching a magic trick. Um, One of the more original movies that I've seen, and I've mentioned this to you, that that crosses multiple genres. And I don't I don't even know if you could put a label on it because it was a slasher. It was supernatural. It was conspiracy. And that's Cabin in the Woods. That movie oh, just really yeah. did it for me. I love that. that was so cool. Yeah. And I love the end where they're in there and there's like all of them in the cubes. And yeah. Yes. And I love you love looking through it. It's like, oh, shit, you know, Hellraiser and or whatever, you know, like <laughs> insert monster or, you know, a nod to every single horror film that you've ever watched. It was. Yeah, I mean, even the unicorn was impaling the dude. You know? <laughs> right. Like, right. Yes. Yeah. You know, I need to rewatch that movie. It was so good. Oh, it really was. And it covered all the genres. It was like a. Friday the 13th and, and exorcist right. and zombies and, yep. and all, yeah, I won't give it away. It's a whole nother discussion, yeah, but that's, a, that's definitely another one to watch. So we hope you enjoyed this review. We hope you kind of, uh, you know, get a moment uh, to check out bug online. 
you won't have some lotion available though. Anti-age yeah, yeah. lotion. <laughs> um, yeah, check it out. Let us know what you think. We posted, or I will be posting online about this, and we're actually working on the next episode. Uh, we are going to be reviewing um, I Am Legend in all its myriad forms. So from Vincent Price's iconic, uh, I, you know, Last Man on Earth to uh, the Will Smith I Am Legend and everything in between. So, yeah, keep an eye open for that. We should have that done by next week. So uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in and have a great one. Mm-hmm.